CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. It is Friday evening here at the NASDAQ, so you know what that means. It is time for options action, and we've got a big show on deck. Here is what's coming up. Stocks sink hard as global concerns collide. But like a beacon in a storm, the options action team has identified a possible shining safe harbor. Then we're also getting animated about a way to play Disney's quarterly results next week. Plus, that could be one of the market's problems, but it doesn't have to be yours. We'll explain how to handle the bill coming due. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts now. Welcome, everybody. Let's get to it. Fear gripping the markets with the coronavirus outbreak shaking up stocks this week. And today, the S&P having its worst day since October, uh, down 58 points or nearly 2%. But the chart master says, fear not. It is time to turn to one of the oldest protection plays in the book. He's at the plasma to break it down. Carter. Or fear much and turn to one of the oldest right. playbooks in the book. Um, so... Utilities are a place to be. Rates are collapsing, and it can't just be because a few people have the flu. Uh, there's a message going on, and obviously gold, utilities, the way things are acting, I think one has to listen to the message. In any event, uh, a chart of gold over the past two years, and what we do know is gold's had this you know, tight consolidation and then pop, tight consolidation and pop. So if we were to look at it, look at the lines and maybe do it a different way. You know, there are many ways to uh, sort of annotate a chart, but the point is that after a period of pause and rest, a reassertion of strength, a pause and rest, a reassertion of strength. Now, I want to look at the current move in relation to the prior move, and what we know is that while it doesn't have to be symmetrical, after this pullback, you got a 20% pop. We've had a pullback. It's almost the exact same in terms of time, symmetry. And this pop, as of now, is only 7%. Were we simply to achieve a 20% move, or how about even 10 or 12? The implications are much higher. Uh, the chart itself has this kind of cup and handle look, all quite good. And a 20% move, similar to that one, would take you to about 165 or 1650 an ounce in gold. And I think that's as reasonable a uh, price objective as any. What we know is a big move, a consolidation, a big move, a consolidation, a big move, all within the context of what everyone knows, a massive bottoming out formation. So, gold. so, Mike, the chart suggests, says Carter, the idea that we're at the, in the early innings of a move upward for gold. Is that what you see? And what's the trade? Yeah, so I... I Early innings, I, I don't know. We were at uh, about 1300 bucks an ounce um, before the beginning of the summer, and now we're close to 1600 So we've actually had a pretty good move off of that. We closed on the highs today for gold, basically, and that's one of the few things that did, right? So it's fairly clear that there is some demand for it. The other thing I would point out is that, you know, we heard Tim on the earlier show talking about how reflation-type trades, things like oil and copper weren't doing well. But something else that didn't do so hot today was the dollar. And, you know, if you think about gold, it is often a, a flight to safety. It is often an inflation hedge. 
Uh, and so for those reasons, I think it is a de decently safe haven. Now, there are people who are watching the show who may already have it in their portfolios. It used to be a standard thing to have in your portfolio, but perhaps you don't. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, well, now that it has had this better than 25% run off of last year's lows, how can I look to get into this without being exposed to the potential for a decline of 300 bucks an ounce if it goes back to those lows? And actually, I think we can do a couple of things. One of them is take advantage of the fact that commodities often see elevated implied volatility as you start seeing new highs. That's what we're seeing here. Right now, February options in GLD, which is the ETF that tracks gold, are relatively high. The other thing that we have is the longer dated options are a little bit cheaper. So we can look to use options to bet on some further upside while taking relatively little risk. I was looking specifically at the March 149 February 152 and a half call calendar. It's a diagonal spread. You could buy those March 149s for 260, sell the 152 and a half in Feb against it for 70 cents. Net net, you're spending $1.90. This is a trade that will be profitable if GLD rises. We're taking advantage of that elevated premium in the near dated options. Uh, people often say that they don't like gold. Buffett doesn't like gold because it doesn't have any cash flow. It doesn't have any yield. But actually, when you use options in this way, it does actually have a little bit because we're going to be collecting premium in the form of those shorter dated options. And we're mitigating risk because we're going to be owning the 149 strike calls if it really did collapse. If everything turned around, if everything we saw this week, scary as it was, suddenly reversed, then it's hard to imagine how that could happen very quickly. But if it did, uh, you're taking relatively little risk here. All right. Any reaction to that? Uh, love it. And also, it's worth noting, of course, that if one wants to be even more aggressive, you own the equities, which is GDX or GDXJ, where you get a lot more torque than you would out of the commodity. Tony? So I, I actually just took uh, profits on my long GLD position yesterday morning, but I think you guys actually might have convinced me to potentially get back in, partially because 149 resistance, it struggled at that level over the last few days, which is part of why I took profits. But the breakout today and the fact that you're able to take this long position, risking only about 1.3% of the ETF's underlying price, is, in my opinion, a, a, a a trade that I would trade. Yeah, I mean, a quick thing I would just say about this, we're well off of the all-time highs in gold. So in terms of resistance, it's not like uh, I see any immediate lines just above us here. All right, let's move uh, on here. Things have not been quite so golden for shares of Disney this year. The stock is sitting in a correction, down more than 11% from its 52-week high. Uh, but one of our traders is betting on a magical rally when Disney reports earnings next week. Tony, what you got? So taking a look at Disney, I like the fact that this stock broke out above that 143 level on last quarter's earnings. It traded all the way up to 153, but like you said, over the last few weeks, it's pulled back right to around that 135 breakout level. Now, the pullback over the last few weeks is concerning to me, this weak relative strength going into earnings. But if I look at the analyst revisions over the last few weeks, it's certainly currently pointing towards a modest beat, in my opinion, going into earnings next week. And if we look at options here, um, one of the concerns that I have here is the fact that I'm looking for an upside move fairly quickly. So normally I'd like to use a call option to place this type of trade. However, if you look at the implied volatility of options for Disney, it's very high. And if you look at the term structure, one of the ways that I can actually decrease the implied volatility or the cheapness of the options that I pay is to go out to March. So I'm looking at a fairly simple structure here using a call vertical, trading a 135, 150 March call vertical paying about $6.90 for the 
March 135 calls and then collecting about $1.60 on that March 150 calls. Net-net, I'm paying about $5.30 uh, on the $15 wide debit spread, allowing me to basically take a fairly large directional upside move in Disney while risking only $5 uh, to the downside. How much could you make on it? Uh, almost $10 on this particular trade if you do get that jump over uh, above 140, 145, 150 on Disney. We, we often talk when we look at uh, vertical spreads that you're buying about how much of the distance between the strikes you're paying. And usually that's because we're talking about vertical spreads that are completely out of the money. That's not actually what Tony is doing here. The calls that he's buying, the 135s, are actually well in the money. It was closed 138.30, I think, today. So those are $3.5 in the money almost. And that's an important thing to think about because by selling that upside call and also by using in-the-money call options, uh, he's getting more immediate exposure to the stock, and he's also reducing the decay that this is paying. So using those in-the-money options is another way that he's seeking to mitigate the high cost of options here. And I like the trade because I'm not really in favor generally of fading stocks that have done well in preceding earnings events. I mean, one of the things that we know is that generally, you know, a company's fortunes aren't dictated every 90 days. And so if we see good traction, and we have with Disney+, Plus, there's reason to think there will be some follow-through. Thoughts? And just from, from the Nintendo perspective, uh, Tony spends a lot of time on charts. It's a well-defined uptrend. He knows that. It's bounced off a trend line four times. And the relative strength issue is really an issue if you have a bad stock. But the absolute pattern is good. And the presumption is that the earnings cause it to go up, not down. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Stocks rocked on Wall Street. But we found a rare green arrow in today's sea of red. What it is and why one of our traders says, enjoy the good times while they last. Plus... Calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Options Action, everybody. A major sell-off hitting Wall Street today. All three of the major averages down hard, but there was a rare green arrow in today's sea of red. Consumer discretionary holding up. The XLY finishing the day in the green. Why? Well, basically because of Amazon's monster earnings beat last evening. That stock makes up 25% of the ETF. But if you think Amazon's arms are getting a little tired holding up a whole sector, uh, Mike and Carter have a way to play it. They're over at the Plasma to tag team our call to action. Carter, you first. You bet. So, I mean, there is this thought, and one could say, what do you mean a thought? It's actual, that consumer discretion is outperforming. Um, what I have here is the consumer discretionary sector as we know it, influenced by 25% Amazon, not to mention um, McDonald's, Nike, and so forth. And then here is the equal weight index, and this is really the real story of the consumer. In fact, what's happened is that this has made no progress in the better part of two, three years. If we were to move forward here, All right, take uh, a look. Gentlemen, could I cut in? We've got some breaking news. I will get right back to you on the impeachment trial and the vote uh, that has just taken place in the Senate. Elon Moy is on Capitol Hill. 
Tyler, the Senate has just voted against calling witnesses in the impeachment trial of President Trump. The vote was 51 senators against 49 senators um, in favor along largely party lines. And the Senate is now heading into recess as they try to fi figure out how to wrap the trial up. Now, earlier today, there were several senators who had said that they expected that final vote on the articles of impeachment would not happen until sometime next week, likely on Wednesday. But now it seems that timeline is up in the air. We saw Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Minority Leader Chuck Schumer huddling on the floor uh, just a little while ago as they tried to hash out some sort of compromise. Now they're going back to their respective caucuses to try to talk some more and figure out a way to land this plane, as one senator put it. And we will have to wait and see how the final chapter of this saga plays out. The Back final vote here, Elon, was what, 51-49 with uh, Romney and Collins, the only Republicans who broke ranks with the party? That's exactly right, Tyler. So that was the vote on whether to call witnesses, but the final vote on uh, acquitting the president, that has not happened yet. And we are still waiting to find out when exactly it might be scheduled. All right. Elon Moy, thank you very much. Elon, at the Capitol for us tonight. Uh, gentlemen, I'm sorry to have to interrupt you, but obviously that was important news. Carter, Mike, take it. Uh, go back into your argument and recap. You bet. So uh, three lines here at this point. We've got the S&P in the middle. The thought is that, right, that consumer discretion is outperforming. But if you do it equal weight, it's, you're actually underperforming the market. And that's the real subject. So uh, moving forward, another way to look at it. The sector has ascended, but its relative performance is descending. Now, let's keep the, that and make it the equal weight on top. Take a look at the bottom line now. This is the true performance of consumer discretion if you don't have the over-influence of Amazon and a few other names. And again, having been stuck with no results for the better part of two years. In any event, the chart itself of XLY, well-defined trend line, let's put it in. And I think it's only Amazon that's actually keeping this thing from breaking. We've just heard from Amazon, and now I suspect that it gives way just as so many other things have given way. Mike? Yeah, so, you know, interesting. We'll keep this up for one second. I mean, you'll notice basically that that trend line runs almost exactly to 125 in the XLY. And so that's the level that I'm taking a look at. And the trade we're going to be looking at is a relatively simple one for a couple of reasons. Right now, despite the fact that we've seen all of this turmoil in the market and some options premiums have gone up as a result, in XLY, they actually still remain reasonable. We're going to see a chart of that. Right now, we still remain relatively close to the all-time highs. And finally, the point I would make, we're going to be looking at buying a longer dated put, is that gives us a great deal of flexibility. You can do things like go into a vertical spread or sell near dated options against it. You can use this as a hedge against the discretionary components in your portfolio. So taking a look at that, we're just going to take a quick peek here. This is how the June 125 puts were priced at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week. And you can see that although we did have a dip in the middle in terms of implied volatility, we're essentially right back where we started, so not very expensive. Very simply, go out to June. The 125 puts were trading for about $4.35 when I was looking at this earlier today. And like I said, you can buy this against a long portfolio. You can spend it as basically a speculative bet to the short side if you chose to do so. And if you're looking to try to take advantage of higher near 
updated premium. You could look to do calendar spreads and things like that as well. All right, as they work their way back, Tony, what do you think of Mike's trade? So I like Mike's trade from the perspective of the fact that he's buying optionality all the way out to June because a lot can happen between now and June. And if you look at the constituents of this particular sector, there are some names that look particularly ugly right now. If you look at Starbucks, broke below that 200-day moving average. It has a lot of exposure to China. If you look at names like GM or eBay, broke below some major support uh, levels over the last uh, couple of days. So these, these are not... This is not a sector that I particularly like uh, at the moment. And given the fact that if you look at 2019, the economy was driven predominantly by consumers. By the consumer, yeah, absolutely. And if, and if you look at some of the numbers, which I've been following fairly closely, the spending has actually been still been very strong. But if you look at some of the employment, wage growth, payrolls, these are starting to tick a little lower. And these are some of the things that I'm, the cracks that I'm starting to see. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that are going on here. We also have some strange things going on in, the, in credit. So, for example, they're going to change how FICO scores are mm -hmm. going to be calculated. So to the extent that the consumer has basically had the support of easy access to credit, people who have been taking credit card debt off by getting personal loans to pay them, they may actually see declines in their credit scores. There's a lot of things that could pr pressure consumers, not just concerns about things like viruses that might you know, migrate to the United States and things like that. So, you know, you combine that all these factors, and I think that there's reason to think that this is about as far as we're going to come right now. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, one industrial stock is lighting it up this year, and we'll tell you the name and why it's great news for one of our traders. Stick with us. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. It is time now to take a look back at a couple of our trades that remain open. Last week, Tony said GE could power higher after earnings. I like the stock because it broke out in January above that $11.5 resistance level, and it's coming back to retest that as support. It's starting to outperform its sector, and not only do I like that type of relative strength going into earnings, the in industrial sector itself, having spent most of 2019 going sideways, broke out in November. I'm going out to March, and I'm looking at the 11 by 13 call vertical. Uh, I'm buying the March 11 calls for about $1.05 earlier today, and I'm selling the 13 calls for about 20 cents. Tony said it would outperform, and look what happened. GE's up more than 6% since that trade. So how are you managing this one now? Tim? So this trade, I actually took profit on this the day after the earnings announcement. So if you took, did that as well, you would be looking at about 70 80% gains. But if you were still holding on to this, GE has pulled back a bit since then. It's still up about 43 44%. I do recommend taking profits on this particular trade. All right. Any, any reactions, guys, here? Well, and also because industrials are themselves are in trouble, right? Industrials are making new seven-year lows relative of the S&P, uh, GE, you grab one, you're going to get it like that. Yeah, and that manufacturing number out of Chicago yeah. today confirms that the manufacturing sector remains a little bit uh, weak. And Mike uh, Cole last week said Tesla might put the pedal to the metal into earnings. Whoa, but don't expect the gains to stick around too long. Let's see what he said. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. As we can see, we've seen some very, very large moves. And actually where we see a significant concentration of those moves is right here. And that is representing a move of down 10 to 15 percent from Friday to Friday, capturing the week where they report earnings. So we're going to target that price right there. 
And the trade that we're taking a look at here is a diagonal calendar. I was looking at buying the June 475 puts. Those were about 35.50 when I was looking at that earlier today. And then selling the weekly 500 strike puts for $11.40. And what happened with Tesla? Well, they uh, soared double digits, the stock, on its earnings report this week. It is now up more than 13% since that trade. What are you doing, Mike? Yeah, this is an interesting situation because obviously my expectation was not that Tesla was going to rocket to new all-time highs. But by using that diagonal spread, we spent about $23 to put that on. And right now, the puts that we still own closed about $20. So we're fairly close to unchanged in terms of the total value. The thing is, 475 is a pretty remarkable decline here. There's two things you could do. You could either just take the trade off right now and say that you're not really interested in speculating on Tesla one way or the other because it seems to be demonstrating so much strength here. The other is you could sell some near-dated puts against it, maybe the March 500 strike. Carter? Almost universally, stocks that have gapped up, such as this has, have given back those gains. This one stuck its landing. Gap was up today. That alone is a testament to uh, incredible relative strength, and the implications are more to come. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Up next, our final call. Welcome back to Options Action. We have some, uh, I guess you'd call it breaking news out of Europe. You're looking live at London at number 10 Downing Street. There is a countdown clock there, a minute and 46 seconds until the U.K. officially leaves the European Union after years of negotiation. Brexit officially happening at the top of the hour. That is midnight London time. The saga of Brexit will end. Let's turn back to options. It is time to take your tweets. Our first viewer says EEM took a huge hit today. Is, it, is a long call still a good play, Carter? It's not. I mean, it took a hit, and it's copper, it's oil. There's a high correlation with uh, commodities and the EEM, and it looks as though there's more downside. Quick thought, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you were going to make a bullish play on this, calls would be the only way to do it. The good news is that the implied volatility is trading right around the two-year average, so they're not overly expensive. All right, Tony, quick thought on that one? I wouldn't mind taking a stab at this and seeing if you get a quick bounce using call options here. All right, let's go to our final call. Carter, why don't you lead us off? Speaking of commodities, there is a commodity, gold. Long gold, good place to be. Good place to be. That's how we began the show, right? That's yeah. right. Mike? I like GLD diagonal call spreads as a way to make that bullish bet in GLD, and I also like buying June puts in XLY, which are not overly expensive and give you a great deal of flexibility. And, Tony, you get the last word. Uh, Disney, I lo I'm looking for Disney Plus to give us another big earnings announcement here. Uh, looking to buy a call spread on Disney. All right. Thanks, guys. We really, really appreciate your being with us tonight. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Meantime, let's go back to London. The last 20 seconds of the U.K. in the European Union. Mad Money starts right now.